So how many of you guys like to stand in line? Any people love standing in line? I gotcha, right? Nobody likes to stand in line, right? How about, do you like Disney World or like amusement parks? Anybody in the room, like, do you enjoy a good amusement park? Well, then you like standing in lines because that's like all you do at amusement parks in Florida, right? And how many crazy things do you see while standing in line? You guys see some crazy stuff happen? We're not going to share right now because I got to make sure it's appropriate, you know, but, but I'm sure you have some crazy stories. I have one. I was, so I was standing in this one line. It was super, super long. I was there. It felt like forever, but they all, all the lines at Disney feel that way. And there's this dad in front of me who's holding his child, his like son. And uh, his, his son's kind of like, you know, this way, like kind of looking at me. And it's this weird, awkward, like stop looking at me, kid, like for like 20 minutes, you know, standing in line. And he had his hands like wrapped around his dad's neck. And his fingers were like playing under his dad's collar. He's wearing like a collared shirt. And his fingers kept like, it was like he was going for something under there or doing something for a good like 10 minutes. The kids, at least it felt that way. The kids just like digging under his dad's collar. And I, did, I was like, it doesn't feel like he's just playing with a collar. It looks like he's actually trying to grab something. And I couldn't figure it out. It was driving me insane until all of a sudden, a cockroach, dude. A, it looked like an apocalyptic cockroach from like the book of Revelation. It was, at least in my mind, it was like this big. This cockroach crawls out, like flies out from under the collar and crawls over the dad's shoulder. And I'm watching it. He's like this far away from me. And I see the kid had been playing with this cockroach. And it just, it was like hiding from him under the collar. And it goes like this over the shoulder. And dad with this Kung Fu ninja slap goes, oh, just like this, right? Of course, like there's this like goose splatter of like cockroach all over his shoulder and the kid sees it, right? This kid's face was priceless when he saw this cockroach just explode on his dad's shoulder. I was like, oh, getting a little on my face there. I was gross. And uh, the kid's face was followed by these words. Dad, you just killed my best friend. That's what he said. It was was like, what? And the kid starts crying, like screaming, annoying crying. I got out of line. I left and I just went to another ride. I was like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm done, right? You probably have seen people cry over weird things too, right? Like we cry over all sorts of things. Today, I kind of Googled on the internet. I was like, what do people cry about? Like if they're funny videos and stuff. And there were so many things of kids crying over the most ridiculous things. And not just kids, adults too, right? And so there are many, many times in life where we cry and it just doesn't seem appropriate. Like the tears just don't like, they don't seem like they match the occasion. But tonight, James is, as we're still walking through the book of James, we're in James chapter four tonight. And uh, we're walking through the series asking for a friend. Is James helping us know how to walk the Christian walk and live the Christian life? And what James tells us tonight is that there is an appropriate time for tears. There's an appropriate time for crying. And he's going to let us in a little bit tonight on when that is so appropriate and so necessary for us. So look with me. We're in James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. He starts off with this like, almost like startling question. Check this out. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, if I were to stop tonight and ask you that question, I could just guess what some of the answers would be from us, right? Like, what causes fights among you guys? Don't actually answer that. But, like, you're already, like, forming thoughts in your mind. Like, you're thinking about your day. You're thinking about your week. The person you're mad at, the person you want to walk up to and just be like, pop, you know, like, right in the nose. Like, you're like, ah, I know what causes fights among our group. And that's the question he starts this off with, getting people to think, like, why do you think you have relational issues with people? 
Why do you think there's conflict with your friends or in school or on your sports team or in your family? Like, why do you think all of this brokenness in relationships comes about? That's his question. Because we have to admit, like, there's brokenness around us. There's brokenness in us. And as we interact with people, that brokenness causes conflict. And he says this next. He says, is it not this? So he's going to give us the answer that he thinks here. That your passions are at war within you. So this conflict, this relational conflict is actually caused by a conflict that already exists inside of your own heart and my own heart. It's a thing called sin that has broken each of us, right? This body that we walk in is broken. This flesh that we have is desiring sin and brokenness and selfishness. And those things bump up against other people's selfishness. And so we have these passions, it says, that are at war within us. I want that really bad, and that person has it. Why can't I? That person talked to that girl, right? And she's the girl I wanted to talk to. So now I hate that dude forever, and we're going to fight after school. You know, like, it's one of those deals where what we want is taking precedence in our lives. It's priority, right? What I want. And that passion that's in war, at war inside of me, it causes these conflicts with the people around me. It's this brokenness. There's, there's a root to it, and it's called sin. Every single one of us in the room is struggling and dealing with sin. I don't care if you're in middle school. I don't care if you're a full-grown adult. Every one of us is struggling against that brokenness. And therefore, we all got these relationships around us that are broken and are in conflict. And so James says this next. He says, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. Whoa. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And so he's just kind of digging deeper still. He's like kind of pulling back the the shades on our heart so we can look in there and say, here's what's actually going on in you. You probably don't even realize it. You wonder why you just don't get along well with people? You wonder why there's conflicts and fights and stuff going on in your heart, in your life? Why don't you take a peek at your heart? Why don't you look in there and see what's going on? Because whatever's in there is probably coming out, and it's manifesting all around you with the people around you. There are things that you want that you can't have, he says. You might not be committing murder tonight. So you're like, Rob, what is he talking about? I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anybody. But have you hated someone? Because Jesus says to hate someone is just as bad as murdering them. It's the same root. It's the same sin in your heart. That's where it starts. Have you ever hated someone? You're guilty of murder. I know, it sounds extreme, but he's pointing directly at our heart. That's how it starts. Have you coveted? Like, have you wanted what someone else has, but you couldn't get it? He says, so you fight and quarrel. You fight with them because you want what they have. And you look at God and you're like, how come I can't have that? This isn't fair. God, look at my life. Look at theirs. Why do they deserve it and not me? What's the difference, God? You see how all of a sudden this like, passion wells up inside my heart because I'm selfish. And a lot of times I don't want to admit that I'm selfish. And James is kind of forcing us to stop. And he's like, look in this mirror. Check this out. This is your heart. First step is admitting that there's some selfishness and some pride in there, that there's roots of sin in your heart that are causing brokenness. 
and it's breaking the relationships that you're in. So let's just pause for a second. Would you do me a favor? Would you think about your relationships? Think about mom and dad. Think about brothers and sisters. I don't know what your family looks like, but think about the people in your family, whoever that is. Think about your friends at school. Think about your teachers, your coaches. How are those relationships going? Are there people that when you walk down the hall at school, if you see them coming, you're going to turn around and walk the other way because you don't want to have to walk by them and, and look them in the face? Are there teachers who you dread going in their classroom already this year? And you're like, I just, I can't even see that teacher. Are there relationships in your life that are broken? How are your relationships doing? If you're looking around and you're like, man, there are a bunch of people like that, that I could identify. Like, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to see them. I do my best to avoid them. Then here, this message might be for you tonight. Because that brokenness doesn't just happen on its own. James says that it starts in your heart. It starts in my heart. The problem isn't that person necessarily. The problem starts right here. And I look in there and see what kind of brokenness and passions are at war in my own heart. He says this next. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. Now, we could stop and be like, hey, this whole thing is about like praying. It's not. This, this isn't about prayer necessarily here in this passage. What he's doing is taking this, this, this description, this picture of your life, like a snapshot, and trying to describe what a broken, a broken flesh heart looks like inside of you as it's trying to beat. But it's full of these passions and sin. And so part of that is that he's like, listen, you don't even talk to God. You're so worried about these things you want that are living in here, these things you're grasping for, and you're like, I have to have that, that you're not even stopping to ask Jesus for it and say, God, what do you want for my life? He says, you don't ask, and so you don't have, because you're not talking to the Lord. A lot of times, that's where it starts. All this brokenness, all these relational conflicts are because I'm not sitting with Jesus and talking to him and saying, God, I think I need this. What do you think? Like, is this your plan? Is this the best for me? God, you can have it. Do what you will. I trust you. Take my life. Make the decisions, God. All of a sudden, now I'm in a different posture, you know? I'm not just like reaching to get what I want, kicking people out of my way, trying to take it. Now I'm going to God saying, Lord, if this be your will, I want it, you know? But if not, it's okay. I trust you with it. Then he says, you ask and you don't receive, right? So some people are asking and they're going, man, but I'm praying. He's like, yeah, but you're treating them like Santa Claus. You're looking up at God going, I have to have this. You better give it to me. If you don't, I'm going to be mad at you, right? Do you have that prayer request? The one that you need so bad or want so bad? Every night you pray it and every morning you pray it and multiple times throughout the day you're asking God for that thing and you still haven't seen it. And so you're like, God, you better prove yourself. You must not be there because you're not giving me what I'm asking for. You ever said that? You ever felt that? Like if God was here, he'd be answering my prayer, right? Because I keep praying and he said, if I pray, then he'll give it to me. And so you're wondering, like, why is God not giving it to me? And James says it's because you're asking wrongly. You're asking him like he's some Santa Claus vending machine that you can just tell him what to do and you get to make all the calls. 
You're asking him and saying, you better do this, God, like it's some ultimatum. He says, you're wanting to spend it on your passions. You're not going humbly before God saying, Lord, what is it you want for me? There's a way we should pray. And it's not demanding our king to do what we want him to do. It's humbly getting on our knees before him and saying, how can I serve you? This is what I'd like. God, if it's best for me, then do it. If it's not, then don't. And so James is like, listen, you are a mess inside. There's sin in there. There's brokenness in there. There's selfishness and pride. And it's causing problems in your relationships. The first thing we do when we're in problems with our relationships, right, is we're like, that person's such a jerk. You know, we go to our friend, we're like, have you heard what they did? Can you believe they said this to me? Right? That's like the first thing we do. It's their fault immediately. And James is like, well, maybe not. Maybe you need to stop and look inside and see maybe it's you. (laughs) Maybe it's both of you. But it's worth the stop to look inside and say, God, what is it in me? Will you just look in there for me? Will you tell me if there's pride? Will you tell me if there's selfishness? And will you help me hand it over to you and ask for forgiveness? The next phrase he uses is tough, all right? Like, it's a hard phrase to hear. He describes this, like, person with all the selfishness in their heart, and then he says this to them. He says, you adulterous people. Calls them a bunch of cheaters, like, you people are cheating on me. (laughs) He's calling them out for being adulterers. When that stuff's in our heart, you know, that's like us cheating on God. We're in this relationship, this dedicated, committed relationship with God. When we accept his son, Jesus Christ, we're saying, God, I belong to you. I'm yours. I surrender my life, right? There's a commitment, and I enter as like his bride into this relationship with God. And then all of a sudden, I get up one day, and I'm like, man, you know what? The world sounds real good. I'm running over here. I'm going to try some of this instead, God. I'll be back tomorrow. (laughs) And God's like, you adulterer. You're literally cheating on me. What happened to the surrender and the commitment? What happened to our relationship? You're just going to run off with the world like I'm just nothing? Forgetting your first love. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's like, hey, you can't have both. So often, don't we do this? Don't we go, hey, God, I want you when there's benefits. You know, like when I can pray to you and get what I want and you'll answer my prayers. I'm good. That's what I want in this relationship. You know what, God? I'm good with you because I want to go to heaven. And so I've prayed to you and asked for salvation. Forgiveness is awesome. Grace is awesome, right? Heaven is awesome. And so those parts I want, but it stops there. So I want that, but I also want to go over here and date around with the world too. I want the benefits of what the world has to offer me because some of this stuff's really fun and really satisfying and feels really good. And it just like, yeah, there's a lot here that I want to, so let's just share. God's like, what? If you're going to walk over there and be the friend of the world and you're going to chase the world, then you've lost me. Like, you can't call yourself my friend. You're now making yourself my enemy because you're literally cheating on me saying that you can just have a hand in each place and be like, yep, I got to hold on both of these. I'm just going to get the benefits, the world and God. 
I'll be saved and I'll live however I want. God's like, no, you adulterer, you cheater. God is so committed to you that he sent his only son, Jesus, to literally give his life and die for you. How dare we go, yeah, that's pretty good, but I'm, I'm going to still play both sides. I know what you've done. I know how committed you are, but you get this mediocre commitment from me where I'm just going to keep cheating on you, keep handing my heart over to sin and over to the world and over my own passions. And God, like, when, when I need you, then I'll come running back, you know, like the prodigal son. I'll just keep running back, like, okay, I'm sorry again. I'll try not to do it. And the next day, I'm like, okay, peace. Like, I forgot all about what I said yesterday. I'm back over to the world. God's like, it doesn't work like that. That's not, that's not how I've designed it to be. There's so many churches today. Y'all need to be so careful. Seniors, you need to be so careful as you graduate and go to college and look for a new church. You need to be looking and finding a place that doesn't water down the truth of God's word. So many churches are going, hey, we love God, but you know what, the Bible, it's not totally accurate. You know, like, it's, it's a decent book. We love God, but you know what, anyone could just choose whatever gender they want to be. It doesn't matter that God created them with a specific plan and purpose and design and assigned them their gender and their identity. Hey, I, I, we want God, but we also want to let the world kind of just do whatever they want. And we're going to take all of our values and morals, all of our beliefs, and just let them be watered down to nothing so that the world's not mad at us. But I still love you. I've been cheating on you like crazy, but, but I still love you, God. I don't think you would believe that if someone you were dating came up and said that to you. You kept finding out they're cheating on you over and over. They keep saying sorry, but they keep going back. How long would you last in a relationship like that? But we try to do it to God all the time. We try to say, yeah, I want to be committed to you, but I also, I just want the world. Listen, be careful as you choose churches and who you listen to, who's teaching God's word, that they're teaching what the word says and they're not watering it down just to play both sides of the fence. People might get mad. The gospel's offensive. We don't have to be offensive. We can love them and serve them, help them understand what God says, that it's the best for them, but we should never back down from what God says because it always is right, period. We have to make a choice as Christians, as believers, and say, I'm fully committed. Like, my life is yours. My commitments are yours. My beliefs are yours, God. I'm not backing down. I'm not playing both sides of the fence. And he says this next. He says, or do you suppose it's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? He says, you think it was just pointless for God, to, for the Bible to say that God is jealous over you? You're his creation. His, his mind thought you up. His, his abilities created you. He breathed life into you and brought you into existence. He is sustaining you right now so your molecules don't just fly off into space. Literally, Hebrews tells us that. That's how intimately connected God is to you and committed he is to you. Why so often do we keep running away to him? 
instead of standing right here in the middle of the attention of our creator who's looking down with so much love. He's jealous over us. Like he doesn't want to share you with the world. He doesn't want to share you with sin. And I would just wonder, like, who might you be cheating on God with? Maybe you are tonight. Have you asked yourself? Is it possible that you could be cheating on him right now in your heart? Let me be clear with that question. Who are you valuing or what are you valuing more than your Savior? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's you, right? Maybe it's me. Like I value myself sometimes more than God. I want what I want. I think I deserve it. Or maybe it's, it's just sin. It's just things that you enjoy doing and you're valuing them like they're little gods, little idols in your life that you're cheating on God with. Or maybe, maybe it's other people. Maybe it's that boyfriend or girlfriend that you have that you think the world of and they've just, you just love them so much. It's almost like, who's God? Like, I forgot. I don't even have time for you. because I'm just so focused on this person. It's so easy to begin to idolize that significant other in our lives if we're not careful. But you will be a far better husband or wife if you put God above your husband or wife. You'll treat them better. You'll love them better. You'll serve them and sacrifice for them better if God is first. Maybe it's friends, friends that keep dragging you into the same junk and influencing you to walk away from Jesus and do other things. And they've become these little gods in your life. God's like, you need to choose, you know? I don't want to share. I'm a jealous God. I want you to be committed to me. I want you to love me the way I've loved you and given my only son to die for you. Who are you cheating with? What are you cheating with? That you need to give up to him tonight. You need to say, God, like I actually want to make a change here. I don't want to just keep saying sorry and going back and doing it. Like I want a 180 change in my life tonight. I want my heart to change. Listen, listen what James is about to tell us. He says, but he gives more grace. Like there's a way out of this. God has grace for us when we're in this situation, right? Nobody's pointing a finger in your face and making you feel shame tonight. God's like, I have a way out. <laughs> I want you to know this because I have a gift for you. That's what grace is. It's a gift. So he's pointing that out. So you know, there's a gift coming. He says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a way back to God. And it's not through pride. It's through repentance. It's through humbling yourself before God and admitting that you're wrong, which is so hard to do, right? I don't know if you've ever had to admit you were wrong after you've done something and go up to someone and stare him in the face and be like, dude, I'm sorry. It was me. I totally messed up. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do. God says it takes humility, but there's grace for you to do it. If you'll just go back to God and get on your knees and say, Lord, take me back. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Say, Lord, I want you above everything else. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's what repentance is, right? So let's make sure we understand what we're talking about here tonight. This isn't, hey, you guys need to go. If there's something in your heart that's not right, you need to go to God and say sorry again, and tomorrow go do it. That's not what we're saying. We do that far too often. James is saying repentance looks like us going, hey, sin, I'm done with you. Get out of my face. And you draw near to God and you say, I'm turning around away from you. You have my back. 
I'm not looking at you anymore. I'm not looking your direction. And I'm getting as far away from you as I can because I'm going back to my first love. I'm going back to God. I'm going to draw near to him. It's this abandonment of that old life. Like, I'm done. Not just, hey, I'm sorry, but I am done. We are done. This is breaking. This relationship is over. I'm going to Jesus. He's my first love. And you draw near to God. It says he will draw near to you. That's what repentance looks like. It's not just this empty, I'm sorry. We just repeat over and over. It's an abandonment of that old life and that sin. We don't just come to Firehouse and raise our hand every Wednesday and say, here I am again and I'm broken. And that's totally fine if you have to do that tonight. We all come broken. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is a pattern where we think just saying sorry over and over again and never having real change in our heart is the thing because that's not. The hope would be that we could come and we could say, tonight I need to make a change and God really transforms you in a way that you start to be different, right? And he starts to work in your heart and change you and you start to abandon that old life and go, God, I want to draw near to you. That's what repentance and humility looks like and that's what James is calling us to in these situations. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Repentance looks like like washing this this sin away, this old life. And it's not something you can do by yourself. It takes the blood of Jesus to cleanse away sin. It takes drawing near to God and accepting Jesus and trusting him to do this and saying, Jesus, I want you more. And his blood washes and purifies you from it. There's power in that. He says, be wretched, right? Broken, like torn apart. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning or grieving and your joy to gloom. Now that sounds so dark, right? Like, oh my goodness, this is so heavy tonight. That feels so like, whoa, Rob, what are you preaching? What is James thinking? Why is he so negative? He wants my laughter to turn into crying? Not all the time. But remember, we said that there are times where it's appropriate. There are times when tears are necessary. And this is one of them. Repentance should look like this this crazy joy as you are just playing both sides of the fence. is crushed and you let your heart literally break over what you've done. It says you're wretched. You mourn and you weep before God. And it's not just this emotional show that's happening, but there's a legit turn in your heart and your mind about what you've done. And you're saying, God, I'm done with the false gods and the idols in my life. I'm done worshiping me, and I am ready to come back to you. I'm turning away and coming to you. He ends with this phrase. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So we have some like dark, like hard to hear bad news that leads up to this amazing promise. If you do this, listen, if you do this, if you humble yourself tonight, if you repent before God and say, I'm done with this old life, I'm done with these sins that keep creeping in, and I just want you, Jesus, You let your joy turn to crying tonight, to tears. You let your heart break 
over what you've done. It says that he will exalt you. He's not going to leave you on your knees crying. He's going to pick you up as his son or daughter. He's going to bring you to a place of glory at his side. As he mends your relationship with him. As he mends your heart. As he mends those broken relationships at school and at home and all around you. Because he's working in you and he's producing fruit. That all of a sudden people are like, who's this new person? I can't even believe it. Like, There's such a change in them. And what they're seeing is Jesus Christ at work in you. Changing you, exalting you, making you more like him. Would you maybe have the humility tonight? take that risk, to look to God and to give it all to him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a second? This has been heavy. I know it's not a light message tonight. So I want to give you a second to process what we just talked about. But I do believe that there are people in this room tonight that God's been working on. He's been tugging on your heart. Holy Spirit's maybe even convicting you right now as we're talking together. And you already have seen like those spots in your heart that God's like, hey, give it over to me. God wants that back, right? He's jealous over you. Would you just ask him right now and just say, God, like, show me those spots. As we sing this next song, God, would you just convict my heart and tell me the places that I need to give up to you?